everyone. Welcome to 12 Questions. This is Anna Valenzuela. Woo woo. How are we surviving? How are we surviving, ladies and gentlemen? Are you doing okay? Are you holding up? Is it too hot? How's this reentry treating you? I hope you enjoyed the last episode. And I'm very, very excited to introduce uh, my co-host in all of his tie-dye glory, Mr. Dave Yates. You know, tie-dye is coming back. And, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, tie I'm wearing tie-dye shorts right now. I'm going to be one of those people to say, uh, it never left me. So if you think I'm out in these streets trying to be a hype beast, think again. I ate the acid. <laughs> Dave, you is a hype beast. I like the way you say hype beast because you say the P too hard. You say hype with a hard P. It's very that's, interesting. That's, that's that Midwest. Uh, the hard P. That pop. Hype. Drink, drinking that pop, son. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Dave, can you read our beautiful clarity statement? Sure can. Welcome to 12 Questions Podcast. We believe that growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Our mission is to share our experiences with guests who do the same. We are not affiliated with AANA or any other 12-step organization. 12 Questions has absolutely no opinion on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. We're simply two people that happen to be in recovery that want to give hope to anyone struggling. Although some of our guests may be clean and sober, some of them are not or choose not to divulge. The purpose of the podcast is to learn more about ourselves and others. We only hope that you can learn something about yourselves. Here we go. And our next guest, uh, well, our next guest, oh my God, who am Current I? Radio guest. Current guest? Wait, I am a radio human right now. Radio and our human. next guest, uh, no, uh, this this guest that we have who's going to introduce themselves uh, is a hot recommend from Whitney Watson. Check out her episode. It's very good. We adore, we adore Whitney Watson. So excited. Um, and I'm, I'm just very excited to get to know this lovely human. Who are we speaking to today? Um, peace, peace. My name is Mark James Heath. I'm a poet and a comedian from the south side of Chicago. How, how are you all? We are Fantastic. wonderful. Thank you for saying poet first. Um, <laughs> I, I know a lot of people who'd be like, I'm a comedian, but then I also do poetry, but I, <laughs> poetry I think, intrigues me. I think the poetry is probably harder. You know, there's much more of a, an academic uh, community around it. You know what I mean? I think both of them are kind of, they're both similar in that, like, they're these sort of default art forms that, like, a lot of times when people can't do anything, they're like, oh, I'm a poet, you know, or if they or if they, they can't make sense out of it, they're like, oh, it must be comedy. So it's real hard to, yeah. real hard to get consistent <laughs> no, respect because yeah. it's, you know, everybody likes to play with the subjectivity of it, but yeah. And oh. the two colloquial phrases you always hear in regards to both of these art forms is, I was a poet, didn't even know it, uh, <laughs> gag. And then it's like, you should be a comedian. Exactly. Yes. And, and the truth is, is no one should be a comedian. It is the no. most spiritually, emotionally, and physically exhausting thing you could do for yourself. And that's why I like that you have the poetry to balance, to like bring some bring some peace and to say, say the serious things. I have a question, though, about the poetry world. Is sure. it? as wild as the comedy world with controversies right now. Is, uh, is anyone showing their dick to somebody they shouldn't be? Is anybody like poetry, like for you to for you to make a living in poetry, um, you have to go into the academic lane. So mm -hmm. there's a whole official HR department, you know, and anytime you have that, the the dick showing is is limited. You know, they kind of rein that dick showing in. Just a, just a tad. So 
They turn the camera off on the dick showing. They turn it off. They they draw draw a line. But yeah, that is, um, yeah, anytime, anytime that you have, you know, where you can do your craft in the daylight, um, (laughs) people tend to, it tends to be a little bit more respectability going on in that type of thing. So no, it's not as wild, but you know, as we know, this is a this whole this whole problem is a so is a societal problem. So yeah. everybody is doing some wild wild shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Everybody's everybody's a little crazy right now. Uh, it is it is insane, and uh, I, that's why I'm so grateful to do this podcast because we get to for for an hour a week just do like talk about some cool shit, talk about the shit that keeps us sane, and that leads us into our per- first question. What is a surrender? What? Is, how do you experience surrender? I am. I've been married uh, since I was twenty, so I have. Um, I've been married for seventeen years, and I have three. I have three children, so that is where that's where my whole motivation to recover even like came from mm-hmm. and like that's yes that's where my surrender is it's like at the end of the day is it better for us not is it better for me and certainly not is it some sort of unsustainable martyrdom where it's like i'm doing this for you all but yes. like they need me and i need them so i constantly have to be making sure i'm balancing and surrendering to what's the greater good for the five of us as a five now has it always been like that i mean you getting married early in your 20s i mean i was pissing myself on the red line in chicago uh, at 20 so i mean to surrender to any other human beings but myself uh it was in, uh, not not fathomable so no, it hasn't always been like that. And that, that was the whole struggle. In 2018, I pretty much had um, like a mental, um, like a healing crisis, you know, my, my mental health deteriorated to the point where it was like, okay, this isn't going to keep going this way. You're either going to mm-hmm. change or you're going to die. So what are you going to do? And all of that time up to that point, it was a buildup to, you know, just becoming more restless, more discontent, more irritable and taking it out on these beautiful people around me. So I had to make a change. Was that mental health change like in uh, in recovery or out of recovery? Had you, you had, mm-hmm. it, was, it was in recovery. I, um, I went through recovery in, in 2018 specifically because like I wound up being homeless. So I was also pissing myself on the red line. Um, <laughs> Shout out to, to that red right. You can't yeah. tell the difference in smell. Uh, you know, it, it just always constantly smells like stale piss. And you can't piss yourself on the brown line. They frown upon that. No, you got to shit yourself on the brown line. Hey, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's color coded for that very reason. But, um, Hot but yeah. Chicago riffs <laughs> here, in, <laughs> here in LA, we have a purple line and a gold line that no and, one uses. and a red no. line. So yeah, that nobody uses cause they don't go very far. They're not convenient in any way, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it is, uh, I just, I'm trying to think of the substances that would they're all the bodily same. fluids. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you- I found, I found a 12 step program, uh, during that period. And, and as you kind of know, with 12 step, it just kind of gets that first hurdle out of the way. And then you're like, Oh, there's all this other junk underneath that I've been hiding from. 
Right. And now, now it's time to work on that stuff. Yeah. You take the drugs and alcohol away from me. That was my, 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 my situation among other things, but you take the drugs and alcohol away from me. And I've always said, it's like duct tape. Like you can fix a lot of shit with duct tape, but it's not going to stay fixed. Like you can tow a car with duct tape if you braid it right, but it's going to break down over time. Like the elements are going to break it down and it's not going to work right. Like if, if I wanted a permanent fix to always taping my life up, then I had to get rid of those things. But then you get rid of those things. You're like, my whole fucking world's falling apart because that's what I used to hold it together as mm -hmm. not together as it seemed. Absolutely. Yeah. And you get to play with the, uh, with that, the, you, you get to do that dance with your substances where it's like, oh, it's the, it's the substance's fault, whatever's going wrong with me. So I'll get mm -hmm. off of that for a few months or a few years or, and, and then I'll be okay. And then you get to go back and forth and back and forth and keep blaming it on the other thing and never actually tackle what's, what's happening with you. Right. Right. And, and I, it speaks to the insanity of the disease, like the true insanity, because for me, it doesn't matter what I used. It doesn't matter who I was around. It doesn't matter. I am unmanageable. And I know this because I've had moments of unmanageability and insanity in recovery. Uh, what would you say has been the most insane moment you've had in or out of recovery so far? What is the most insane? I don't know. Kind of the the tipping point, I guess, um, was I, I was homeless. Um, I had to, you know, my wife was basically like, I'm, I don't know how safe it is with you here. Uh, Shout out to your so, wife, by the way. That yeah, is, right? that is, I find myself like watching TV or like watching, uh, like, like watching show, like whether it's an anime or the wire or like just regular TV, I'm always yelling at the TV, set some goddamn boundaries, bro. <laughs> just be like, just be like, this is the limit. And then like, hold to it. You got to hold mm -hmm. to it. And that, what a beautiful thing. Yeah. I'm sure it didn't feel beautiful at the time though. Oh yeah. And yeah, she, that's kind of, that was kind of the initial attraction with, with her and I, for me was that she was so good at, setting boundaries and such kind of like a strong person um but yeah uh so i want we wound up you know being at odds so i i left and i was you know just kind of living on the street not even so much because i had to but just because you know i wanted to keep doing what i wanted to do so if i moved in with family or or somebody else then that would kind of expose this thing that i've been hiding from everybody there was a big memorial and i went to that it's a memorial at a comedy club so there's alcohol and all sorts of other recreational stuff all over the place and nothing I just... nothing celebrates a person's life like doing an eight ball in the bathroom you know what i right. mean like like doing <laughs> like doing some cocaine just to be like you know what he was a good dude and then talk too fast and sweat at people yeah that's yeah. real spiritual says the girl who was a little hungover and still drunk at her dad's funeral um... right and that's the game that's the that's the other thing we talk about how crazy comedy is comedy is one of those things where people act like it's magic um that you can even do it so it's like oh you know as long as you can as long as you're making people laugh everything else doesn't really matter your life is falling apart you're a rapist you're an alcoholic you're whatever you are as long as you're killing it on the stage we're not gonna nobody's really gonna hold you to anything mm -hmm. it's really self-indulgent so it's, it's a bunch of self-indulgent time i mean mm -hmm. it's especially i mean i've watched 
famous comedians be handled with kid gloves with drug problems to death because they sell tickets yeah that's i mean it's an occupational hazard and we all we all know it to be to be mm-hmm. true you know I, I mean one of my first sort of moments where i was thinking like yo i need to do something different with my life was in 2014 when it was like cosby and robin williams kind of both we kind of lost both of those mm-hmm. those comedians that same year mm-hmm. um and, and it was just like whoa you know you can be really really successful and really, really unsuccessful at the exact same time. But I say all that to say, um, comedy is self-indulgent. So I was really drunk um, and I wound up like throwing up in a sewer and almost like dying of alcohol poisoning and like laying face down on the street, like passed out. Mm-hmm. And that's when it was like, yeah, you you really have a, a, a issue here <laughs> that you have to take care of. It's not your wife, she's not, she's not crazy. You know what I mean? It's not your your hectic life. It's not all going to be solved once you get a late night spot or some crazy stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. like there's really something going on with you that if you don't fix it, you're not going to you're not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. What a beautiful moment of clarity. Like that's that's so amazing. I being scooped up face down in a gutter, alcohol poisoning, hypothermia, the whole the whole nine. Uh, mm-hmm. It took me five more years to figure out like what I, what, it, it was weird. Cause I knew that I was the problem. I knew that the, the disease was the problem, but I thought, cause I have so much ego that I could outsmart it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. I can figure this out. I can get me a little PhD and I grew up around 12 step programs. I can figure this out. I know, I know how this works. And uh, I never figured out how to, how to drink or use like a lady. I could never figure it out. Um, yeah, great obsession, right? Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's so easy to, you know, I don't know, there's, I know that society glorifies it, but I also know that there's a lot of art that tells the truth too. And a lot of my roommate calls drug addiction and comedy, the third rail of comedy that no one wants to talk about it. And once you do like, you know, and it's like, that's, it's ridiculous, you know? And also I loved what you said about like, you had to grieve two greats in two different ways. You had to grieve the loss, the the physical loss of a, of a person in their legend. And then you had to grieve the emotional loss of what you believed a person was, or at least adding in new information because two things can exist at once, right? Somebody can sure. be a great, somebody can be incredibly talented and someone could also have some, have some behavior that is completely unacceptable in in, in society you know those fact, and then cosby exist. yeah absolutely but then you know cosby as a as a black as a black man particularly in my age bracket right when you're growing up on like cosby show a different world cosby mm-hmm. is this sort of figure this respectable figure this husband, this father, this successful man gives back to the community. He is a, a, a beacon of like upstandingness. That's supposed to be his whole bag. So to find out that information about him, um, it is a like, okay, you know, like, nah, this is not, this person is not who I thought this person was. And then combing through your own sort of like, 
like how much how much of an influence is this dude on me? How much of how much of this do I need to exercise out of myself? What can I keep and what do I absolutely have to throw away now that I have this sort of information? That right. Is- and it all starts with a decision, you know, uh, like, you know, you were making a decision that night at the lab factory. You had to make a decision, you know, in regards to finding out that an icon in 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 all respects uh of everybody's community and black community you had to filter all that through and make a decision so how do you make decisions in your life today um i i sur- goes back to that surrender um and that's kind of the cool thing about 12 step is that it starts very simple it's like we're mm-hmm. just gonna not do this thing and mm-hmm. whatever you have to do whatever they tell you to do just do it because you do think it, it is this weird dynamic where it's like, I'm smarter than everyone, but, <laughs> yeah. I, but I'm also like, I'm the worst person who ever lived. I'm, I'm terrible. I, I don't deserve to live. I, I don't, I'm taking up space, but I'm actually smarter than everyone. So, <laughs> so I've never done anything exactly the way I've been told to do it in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I don't read the entire instruction manual. I don't, I always, I'm, I'm going to amend it just a little bit. I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. Getting rid of that mind frame and just being like, whatever you say, whatever you say. So, so even with 12 step, I did that, but I also did that with mental health. Cause for years, it's like, I don't want to take pills that'll ruin my my sense of humor Mm -hmm. i'll just i'll just smoke weed or i'll just do this and then it's like nope i'm gonna go to the doctor i'm gonna tell them everything i'm not gonna leave anything out and whatever the treatment plan is we're gonna do it just like they said i'm not gonna do anything differently and then we can make amends the whole concept of of really being true to myself and like not omitting things or, or lying like that rigorous honesty thing that's how that's how I make decisions now tell everybody everything up front and then stick to it I love that you're amazing do you know that you're amazing <laughs> I oh, love I'm failing that. at it every day that's, that's, that's <laughs> I mean yeah me too me too I mean I'm still on the fence but Anna's quick Anna's quick to compliment I'm, I'm still waiting for the real shit oh you stop <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. I like, <laughs> I like that there's this dynamic here. Yeah. Use the salty to my sweet. Uh, California girl, Chicago boy. That's how that. That's yeah. how that's working. So. No, but that's. I mean, that's a one thing too. It's just like it's nice to talk to show someone who burnt it down in Chicago because I, I I do believe it's a little different than burning it down anywhere else. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I mean, I remember I would drink till three or four in the morning. And then stop for a couple hours. If I had enough money to eat, I'd go get some late night food. And then I could start drinking again at like 7 a.m. because spots open up because of the people that work the graveyard shift. Like you get you get on the west side of Chicago where people work in the factories or whatever. You wait till 7 a.m. They're getting off of work. You can just mosey on in to the bar, get yourself your, your tall boy of old style or PBR for a couple bucks. And to do that and then and then you could literally just stay on the subway and drink all day because it'll run north and south east and west and no one will really bother you unless you're like trying to stab someone right. like don't you you could be pissing and shitting yourself and still no one will bother you like it takes a lot to get the cta to be like yo you need to get off this train 
Right. Uh, you know, we don't have our mental health is terrible. Our mental mm. health like system is terrible in Chicago, but our public transit system is fantastic. So. <laughs> You can, can get to the clinic. Ways. You can get to the medical yeah. clinic. You might not be seen. Yeah, so you can, you can, <laughs> anybody and everybody can can ride the trains all day, all day and all night, and all day and all yeah, night. Yeah, two seventy five or hop right. in the gate. You can, you could be somewhere warm or cool in the summer or the winter until you fuck up. Exactly. That's you gotta wild. really make a mistake to get kicked yeah. off of those things for sure. That's wild. I and I love that you mentioned your mental health journey. I I too have a mental health journey, and and mine was I actually was clean for a number of years, and finally surrendered to the fact that like I have some mental health stuff going on, and you know anxiety, depression, the ADHD, like all this stuff that comes from trauma basically mm -hmm. like like the, mm -hmm. the resulting affects of trauma i need to pay somebody or medical needs to pay somebody to for me to talk to once a week that is not my sponsor that is not my my friend that is a, a medical professional who can hold a mirror in front of me you know i need to um you know i need to for this brain you know take a very very teeny tiny little thing just to keep myself from having the panic attacks you know what i mean mm -hmm. and i i i love that you were able to you know um nothing fun by the way i never get to take anything it's just a little zoll off you know just just my old my old it was, i i keep oh, being mentally healthy is not fun and your zoll is not a fun pill to well, take you know, it is interesting because the high highs and the low lows of anxiety, you can get kind of addicted to that, like, you know, the boom and bust of it all. Right. And I really like to ramp up. It always felt like I was on a roller coaster and um, and getting used to the the calm and the balance that I'm able to achieve that five seconds I get before I'm like about to say, look, bitch, now I can go okay uh mm -hmm. i'm gonna just remove myself from this situation and uh, see it see my way out you know just those those little moments is so important to me and it takes an incredible you know i love that you you got those things kind of at the same time like what has been the most interesting thing you found out about yourself in in that journey i'm a liar um i'm just a liar like not even like my first reaction to most things um is to tell you is to tell you like a, a half truth or a partial truth mm -hmm. or hold something back there's a power in in that for me of like well i'm the only one who really knows what's going on so i can always keep everybody where i need them to be because nobody really knows what's happening you know just to the point where it was like ridiculous like you know if you ask me what i eat for what i ate for breakfast like i'm gonna take a pause you know just before i like mm, what do i want to say here what's um, the breakfast that can make me sound the most impressive <laughs> or something <laughs> yeah. like just this whole that whole thing and how how um and a lot of this most of this is still through the lens of how this affects my wife and kids because quite honestly if i was single i would i would still be out there just doing whatever it would be you know it would be a part of my really cool legendary comedy story i got drunk and threw up on the street and then you know but that was the year that i got 
just for laughs festival or whatever the hell and that would be my life um so i think about just how much that affects her mm-hmm. um and how much it damages my relationship with her or makes my relationship with her difficult um and that just has made me walk everything back like okay why are we fighting right now well we're fighting because I don't want to tell her the truth and she he, and she won't stop asking me questions, you know? Um, and then looking at it in the bigger picture of my life is like me as a comedian or as an artist, um, I do a lot of like community work and a lot of my work is infused with talking about all of these different social issues. And then it's like, well, you know, you're a gaslighter, right? Like, you know, you're, you're essentially an abusive man <laughs> in, in, in all reality. You know, you talk a lot of shit, but this is really what you're doing. You so have the like world val- validating the perception of, of greatness and that exists. That is duality. Like you are great out in the world. It's it's my my dad was in the program. People come up to me and they'd say, your father changed my life. He's a wonderful person. And I would think he threw a plate of spaghetti at me last week because I didn't I didn't like it. And like there are things you can be you can be both things you know we can be magical monsters and uh and i love i love your honesty about that that's you know because that gaslighting stuff i've had to say that to partners be like you know you're gaslighting right now and sometimes they're not even aware you know they're just like yeah no this is just how i get by this is how i talk to people when i when my masculinity is threatened <laughs> this, this is what i do <laughs> and just even just even that right that whole concept of like you're threatening my masculinity and it's like a lot of that is bullshit it's like you're just lying man like you're you're just you're wrong right now and you just can't fucking say that you're wrong you want it to be deep you want it to be this big dramatic ass you know pageant where this is such a big deal it's like no it's not it's really not if you really would just tell the truth and calm down this relationship is really easy but you are making it hard on purpose one of of the acronyms i think i like that gets thrown around the rooms in regards to like what we're talking about is like the whole fear because it's a fear-based thing and it's false evidence appearing real is the acronym Mm -hmm. i mean and trust me there i go through points where i fucking hate all the colloquial phrases you hear but you know, as far as masculinity being threatened, it's just like that's a, it's a fear based thing when it's not real and it's not, yeah. it's not, not it, it's one, it's not an, a life threatening thing. Like, no, no, right. no animal out in the wild is like, I'm gonna die because my masculinity. Well, I've, I, yeah, I hate, I'm sorry, I brought that up. That's a term I picked up. I'm, I went back to school. And uh, so I, I took this statistics class and my instructor, uh, their field of study is police violence in uh, specifically Las Vegas uh, Police Department. And what they found was that um, racism and police violence while some people would report internal bigotry in their in their hearts and minds oftentimes the um, contributing factor the deciding factor for adverse behavior as a police officer was um, a threat to masculinity to Mm -hmm. feeling a threat to masculinity Um, and this counted for everybody everybody regardless of you know demographic on the force that was like the the main feature that they discovered is that oftentimes um that that drives people to want to oppress the next thing that makes them look better and so i don't know why that 
I, I, I'm sorry. I just, I literally finals this week. Um, <laughs> so, no, no, but it is, it is interesting. Yeah, it is super interesting how if any perceived threat and in, in primate groups, that's, you know, status and ranking and, pre and you see this in comedy a lot. Status and ranking is so important that you'll grab the next primate comedy and throw them on the ground. Force. Same. That, it's that same. is literally my no my roommate my roommate will yell she'll be like god i wish comics would stop acting like fucking cops it's like <laughs> like like we are protecting yeah. our own in a crazy well, I mean, growing way. up how many compassionate police officers did you a know or b c portrayed on popular culture like i can't th maybe kindergarten cop maybe maybe arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> but he didn't even start out like that he's like he's like <laughs> it's not a tumor you know what i'm saying like, yeah. but, that, yeah, yeah. but eventually he becomes yeah. good but it's that same idea with comedians of like as long as you get the job done mm -hmm. you can be a wreck so like especially like when we was growing up all the cops it was like he's a miserable alcoholic racist sexist asshole but he really did thwart that you know group of terrorists in that building so it's like hey you know <laughs> you gotta he got he has to be that bad to do good yeah i totally get it for yeah sure. it's wild anyway but yeah so like how anyway i would just and women suffer from this as well by the way i just want to say that um i know that i i know for a fact because i've had moments where i've looked back in my life and i thought man, was I really like putting out some toxic masculinity on my own of just like protecting the system of it all. So that that's been like looking back and being like, ooh, I was a bully. Those them defects, those defects, though. <laughs> well, it takes it takes honesty. And as a recovering liar, as I am myself, a recovering tell you I know the music you're talking about, just so you don't think I'm fucking lame. As a recovering, as oh, a recovering, that is, or the movie that you've never people will be like, have you seen that movie? And I'm like, yeah, I, no. I wish I wish someone would have got me this way and said a made up band name, just to see if I would say I knew them, because I probably would have. But no one knew that I'm. Uh, that's how deep it went for me. Where it's just like you could have been like, yo, have you heard of the Purple Rocket Ships? And I'd be like, well, I kind of, yeah. I, you know, their first album was pretty good. It was like, that's not a real band. <laughs> <laughs> we should start doing but, that at shows. <laughs> but Mark, how just, honest are you with yourself and others today? Um, I'm catching it. I'm just at that point. I'm just at the point where it's like, where you go, have you heard of the Purple Rocket Ships? And I go, yeah. Oh, no, 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 I haven't. I, I I say that sometimes. That's that's how honest I am. Like, and that's when it's something trivial, like purple rocket ships. When it's something that's really serious, like um, we just we're just now getting to the place where I am not smoking weed anymore because for years it was an off again on again thing with that again with me and my wife, and then it just became well I'll just lie to you about this. And so that has been, that's been the topic in therapy, you know, uh, for the past like several months of found out I caught him with some weed again. And it's like, yeah, I don't know why I, I lie about smoking the weed. Like lying um, is something that I'm just at the point now where I can, where I can catch myself. Stuff like this, like complete strangers, being honest with complete strangers, especially in the context of podcasts, 
stand-up comedy. That's that shit is easy. That's super yeah. easy. You know, well, especially you're in because, control of it. Exactly. And you're rewarded immediately. You you be honest with people and they go, look out, that was so brave, you know. But in real Anna, life Anna did it earlier. See? Anna I, did it earlier. And I'm just like no, <laughs> I was just vibing on how like deep and fantastic Mark is. How dare you? I was not I, there. This is clapter free. Tox, toxic femininity. Everybody. Here I am. Here I am. No toxic masculinity, babe. I got the biggest dick in the room most of the time. Come on. Uh, but no, I. That, I will clit stamp you. See how quickly we turn into a comedy podcast with clit stamping. Oh my god. Um. Yeah. No. I. I. I that's really funny. Uh. The clapter of it all. But no, you're right. There is a. Um. There is a instant gratification. And what do addicts and alcoholics love more than anything on planet Earth? Instant gratification. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that. It's, it's just it's just incredible and we you know we talked a little bit about um fear how do you how do you deal with fear and anxiety in your life sheesh how do i deal with fear and anxiety in my life um i am connected to my higher power uh and i i i started out that way um and like as i got older I got further and further sort of away from that. So that was kind of the appeal. I know for a lot of people in 12 step, that's kind of one of the hard parts is that second step of like admitting that you feel and like finding a God that you are willing to be like, okay, God, take this whole thing from For me. I was, that was kind of the first thing. It was like, yo, you need to get, you and God need to get back together because you've never been worse. Um, so like, taking a second to um, acknowledge that it's not all about me. Like God for me is not like a man in the sky, you know, throwing lightning bolts or some weird shit. It's just really the acknowledgement that like all of this, everything that's going on is not about me. It doesn't center around me. If something happens to me or doesn't happen to me, this shit isn't gonna stop moving or explode or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not all on my shoulders. So it's like most of the time, whatever it is I'm really, really scared of for the most part, it's like, okay, well, if that does happen, then what? Right. You'll be all right, everything will be okay. So it's like, just kinda, just kinda accept that, like accept the, whatever it is you're super duper scared of, you know, you're gonna be a failure at whatever it is you want to do okay then what then what's gonna happen well life will go on anyway you know what i mean so just kind of yeah. acceptance is is the biggest way for me to kind of deal with with fear for the most part even though there's still plenty of shit that i'm scared of that i can't accept and that i'm you know panicking about uh as we speak <laughs> so yeah yeah and, and and i like i still have character defects that pop up like whack-a-moles you know, and the way I used to look at step six and seven was, you know, turning it over to whatever, you know, uh, I've been really like liking uh, calling it the all, which I mean, like I, I just popped in uh, that new Chappelle, Talib Kweli um, um, and Yassim yeah. uh, podcast, and they were calling it the all. At the, with a capital A and you know I've always in the literature have been more inclined to spirit of the universe and father of light or creator capital C but the all I've been really like 
I've been really liking calling it the all. And when I when I have character defects that pop up like whack-a-mole, the all is the only mallet that keeps them down, you know? And yeah. that doesn't mean they're not going to come up again. They'll come up slower and I can catch them. But like, mm -hmm. what character defects, Mark, would you say that you have turned over or surrendered to the most? Um, the dishonesty thing is huge for me, mm -hmm. and it's um, and like it's and it's crazy. And this is something that I've a big argument back and forth between me and my wife because lying to somebody is a um, is an all or nothing kind of a thing for them. You know what I mean? Um, so it doesn't matter how many times you tell the truth. If you tell a lie, it kind of just washes all of that stuff away. Yep. But like, that's just how many lies I was telling is that I am catching so many more than I ever was. And I'm working so hard on surrendering that. And I feel good about a lot of the surrendering that I've done. But it's like, there's still a lot of lies in here. There's still a lot of stuff that you're not honest with yourself about. Um, and so like, once you start clearing those things out, you start realizing it's like, oh, I never was that tall as I, <laughs> I'm actually not five, eight, I'm actually five, seven, or it's like, I'm actually, you know, it's like, just, oh my God, there are so yeah. many people that look at me and say, I am five, four women. I am five, four. And I look at them and I go, no, you're not. I am two inches taller than you, and I am 5'4", and I know I'm 5'4", because I used to fight competitively. <laughs> I have been measured. <laughs> I have been fucking measured. <laughs> so it is, um, it, is, it is very funny. The height thing is very funny, because you don't realize that you're lying. You're just like, and I, what I'll say in those situations is I'll say, ooh, I accidentally told a lie. You know? Ooh, yeah. ooh, I accidentally told a lie. Cause that won't. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I, I, I would love, I would love to hear what you have to say. About I was just gonna say that won't. That's a good. That's a good thing to tell myself. That won't fly with my wife at all. No, <laughs> no, it will not. No, no, not at all. No, won't, no. won't work for shit. Because but yes. trust is trust is the a huge part of intimacy in a relationship. And once trust is undermined, it is. Uh, Brene Brown describes trust as like a jar full of uh, marbles and it takes years to fill it and can take five minutes it could take a second to throw it over and lose Absolutely. all those marbles and it's really really difficult to recover that so yeah yeah no that won't fly with the wife unfortunately i've smashed the jar of marbles many a time with many a people man shoot but i tell That's you what's crazy. a nice thing to experience is is forgiveness and <clears throat> have you how have you experienced forgiveness at this juncture in your journey whether it be with your wife whether it be self-forgiveness how do you experience it i'm sitting here in the house i'm sitting here in my house same house that i was put out of you know what three years ago um and can you imagine being homeless in a pandemic um if that were to be my situation um but i didn't have that it's like, that's another thing about the surrendering and the like fear is to like take just a moment to kind of look around and be like, none of this has to be this way for you. You, you very well could be so much worse off. You know, you didn't do anything so great as a person to protect yourself from, there are people who have done way, who have worked way harder, who 
have who have way less than I do. You know what I mean? Um, and and so like in terms of forgiveness, it's like a, especially when it gets hard because being a husband and being a parent is it's a lot of thankless stuff. It's a lot of working, 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 and working. And it's like yeah, that's what you do. You work. You know, you you, you take care of people. Um, and that can be grating and edgy. And you're like, I need something to take that edge off. And when you take a second to realize it's like, you know, they could not need you. You could be a shitty dad. You could be, you know, a, you could be the ex-husband. That could be your life. Then it, it makes it so much easier to be like, okay, yeah, this is, this is a part of, this is a part of living my dreams is all this other stuff. Hell yeah. I mean, I, I know for me, one of the hardest people to forgive was me, you Man. know, and it's still sometimes hard. Like I've, I've been doing this nine, nine years and like every once in a while, my brain will go to that shit, especially with people you can't really make it completely right with cause they passed on, you know? <clears throat> and then I'm just, I got to catch myself and, and, you know, not dwell on those kind of things, but like. I felt like, uh, for example, we're getting into the amends question and like what, my, my father passed away a couple of years ago. I talk about it on the podcast a bunch, but like, you know, I was, on, I was in the south suburbs of Chicago where my mom and dad were living and like, I couldn't stop the cancer from killing him. I tried, you know, I was making him cannabis medicine. This is with gloves on so I don't get myself accidentally high. I'm sitting in my parents' kitchen making him hash capsules to kind of aid with the chemo. And like the only thing that really gave me any kind of relief during that period was I started looking at my like my first nine step list and I still have it, you know, and there's still things on it, not for any reason of me not wanting to do them, just it just the opportunity or the focus hadn't been to do those. And then I started popping them off, you know, because I had control over that, you know, making amends. So I was going to like the fire department in my hometown and be like, yo, I owe all you firefighters and amends because me and my shithead buddies used to light hay bales on fire. And I'm sure you guys got called to those. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, and that's what so much that was out of my control, making an amends to those firefighters and having these tatted up mid twenties dudes be like, no, bro, you're good. And laugh at my face. Uh, that was tumbling, but also it also gave me some relief what would you say that most surprising amends or apology that you've ever given or received has been? Mm. Um, the most surprising amends was, uh, I have, so I have three kids. I have an 11 year old, a nine year old and a two year old. And I was, and they're all girls. Um, and it's always interesting when you hear about like Louis C.K. Or, or any of these any of these dudes, and the that that people say that cringy sort of quote of like, "Well, as a father of daughters," and it's like you know your daughters really have to carry all of that bullshit that you do to other people, Ooh. you know, because they really stand. <laughs> They really stand up for you. You know what yeah. I mean? They really you're because because you because you can be that you can be a hero to them and a shitty person to people in the world. Um, so it's always like, you know, in, in particular, guys like Louie, where it's like you hear his stories about him and his kids. And it's like, that's really cool. So 
that kind of situation that, that they're probably in is is always something that I think about. But anyway, I actually asked my nine-year-old, maybe this had to be like, I don't know, this was like 2019 probably because we were still, because the world hadn't stopped doing what it was doing yet. And I just said, have I ever, have I ever let you down? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a bit of a tough question for her because out of the three of my kids, she is the one who's going to like internalize and be polite and mm-hmm. not say mean things to hurt people's feelings. But she was like, yeah, you know, um, all the times that you and mom got a divorce. And I was just like, oh. all the time, like technically we've never gotten a divorce. So what is this like all the times? Yeah, the and separation, like, yeah. Right. And when I was growing up, like that type, to say something like that to your, to, to your parent, mm-hmm. you would immediately get that pushback. Like, what are you talking about? You're in, you're, we've never got divorced. You're crazy. Da, da, da. But to take that moment and be like, okay, I really need to hear this from her perspective. Um, I really need to understand that for her, every time I left the house and she didn't know if I was coming back or not, this is a whole new heartbreak. This is a whole new sort of thing that's happening to her and really, you know, really take the time with that and and to make an amends, just, just the culture that I come from to make for an adult to actively make an amends to a child is just like not something that happens. That is is like, I'm tearing up. I'm tearing up a little bit, like just at the concept of asking that question. Cause I remember my dad, this proud Latino man dying and saying like, uh, I approached him and, and I just said, I'm I'm sorry for everything that I'm just sorry, you know, for all the things that weren't right. And he said, yeah, me too. And like to have, to have you initiate that conversation and to trust that nine years old is young, but that this being, this beautiful young woman in your life can answer that question. Because we, we think that children don't get it, but they're super resilient and they're super observant. We know this because mm-hmm. we're all in therapy now. <laughs> right. And we, what do you do in therapy? You talk about the shit you observed when you were nine years old. <laughs> and you remember all of that shit. You, <laughs> you remember ah. all of it. That was another weird thing too, was um, making an amends to my parents because they still don't really believe me um, because of how well I hid everything Mm -hmm. and and my public image, Um, you know, and most of this stuff started when I was an adult and I didn't live with them. So it's like, oh, it's our son, he's a good guy, he's, you know, chasing his dreams, has a wife and kids. So for me to be like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic mom and dad and don't send me any more money when I ask for money because I'm I'm not doing the right thing with that money. Um, and I need you to, to do that. You know, I need you to say no. And like, that was a really, and, and, to, and to be like, it's not your fault. If anything, you know, it's because of you and what you've taught me that I have like the tools to, to fight back with this thing, you know, but I need you to understand that this is what I've been doing all these years that you've been wondering, why, why can't, why can't you just get it together? What's, what's going on? It's been this the whole mm-hmm. time. That's always weird. Cause even still to this day, they're, they're just kind of like always kind of skeptical. Like, are you sure that, that you have this disease? Like what, what's really going on here? Like, right, I don't right. know. You're such a good guy. And it's like, right. no, <laughs> no, it's me. 
Yeah. 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 My parents never saw me. Um, my, uh, no one ever saw it except for my dad. Uh, every time <laughs> I'd run into one of his old friends in a meeting, they'd be like, your dad knew. And he also knew you'd get it. He also knew you'd be okay. And yeah. like that, but nobody else. And I, and I know the moment he saw it too. Cause I was like, I was like a kid and I was binge eating potato chips before dinner. And I was like, I had a full on freak out about him stopping that. And he was like, it was, it was like trying to take drugs away from an adult. Mm -hmm. Like I was just like, no, no, you know, just really freaking out. And, um, and, uh, just that, but other members of my family, they just forget, you know, my, my personal favorite is the, do you want a beer? And it's like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I get really good at like, I'm good. You know, I'm, yeah. no, I appreciate it. It's just, you know, just reminding, but like, it can be really difficult to, to kind of say, no, I did these things. Cause also they don't want that. They see you as their child. They don't see all the really ugly stuff. You know, they yeah. see the, they see the beautiful parts, you know? Sure. And like, sure. But, and I want to say to you really quick, man, like that story that you told about your father, that's, that's a lot, you know? And like, your commitment or your just like your resolve in wearing gloves you know what i'm saying like and doing all of those things that you need to do and like still doing what you need to do like that is extremely commendable so i hope that you you know you have some moments or you take a moment to like you know own that that you're you're that you've done all this work you know what i mean thank yeah, you I mean, we're just gonna cry together dave log off we're gonna cry and compliment okay. each other we're just gonna <laughs> you won't notice a difference from me being logged off to being logged on oh shush there's and i i do want to say because i you know um i i love that you talked about your struggle with you know the the marijuana maintenance stuff the like and it, and it reminded me in this this will i promise lead into our 10th question because the 10th question is like you know what is your your daily practice and also our 11th question is like what like what's your relationship with your higher power and you know and one of those things i when people come to me with that question i always say why would you want to do something that separates you from your higher power because i know for me it separated me from my higher power uh the way i smoked because i was i was having fun um <laughs> see i could convince myself that's the only that's the only way i could conceive was to be high that's to get close to it to, to to smoke dmt and talk to god that was the only way god that wasn't a thing when i was using and sometimes mm -hmm. i'm like damn you rogan um anyway so <laughs> white the whites have been proponents of of the tripping bottles for a, a long time yeah I mean, I mean i also did acid when i was 13 so it's i feel like i didn't miss anything you know what i mean the, the, i no, could be like you, no that, i could be no, like dmt you did like i'm just saying like everybody's like oh acid dmt same no no DMT i'm not saying it's the same another I'm, universe shit like talk just, to god i'm just saying that like you know when you do hallucinogens when your brain is still forming like that i might have the third eye already kicked open you know what i mean i'm just saying like it could be it, it could just could be just like a door that's left open all the time um this has really gotten weird what is your daily practice <laughs> of, spiritual of, stuff. of spiritual stuff that's another uh that's another struggle area right um because it's all it it, it's still something that I'm forming. Like right now I'm in this space where coming out of the pandemic and things are picking up for me and I'm going from 
you know, kind of functioning primarily as as a homemaker um, to like, all right, I'm back out here trying to make some sort of career for myself and all of that. So it's been like, I'm in demand and it's demanding and scary and overwhelming. And then that restless, irritable, discontent stuff starts to kick in and everybody wants too much and everybody is on your nerves. And so like, I'm just now getting back into like, you need a daily routine of some sort of spiritual practice. You, it's not enough to just attend a meeting. It's like, you know, so right now there isn't much of anything. Um, I pray more so on the spot, um, or meditate more so on the spot. Like this thing is, is, is on me right now. I need to defend myself in this moment. Yeah. It's like, talk to God right now, you know, take a second, meditate right now. But as far as like taking control of my day and getting up and having a, a, a plan of action going forward, that's something that is that I'm kicking around in my brain, like, I'm going to do that. I'm, you know, I know what to do, you know, and what I would have done, you know, what I probably would have done if I wouldn't have given you this whole thing about how I'm a liar <laughs> is I would have told you what that plan was. Like mm -hmm. I was doing it like, Oh, mm -hmm. I am. Yeah. I get up at five and then I say the seven step prayer and like, you know, yeah. but like, oh. which is what I want to do or what I think that might work. That might help try that out. But I haven't, I haven't done that at all, you know, just yet. So can I, can I tell you something? I had a spiritual awakening listening to a podcast the other day. The, the question was it that was no, it, no, 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 you were no, our podcast. no, 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 no. It is the, um, it, it, it was a, a ghost of a podcast with Jessica Lignato. I totally want her on the pod, putting that out there. Anyway, she, she um, was talking about the spiritual practice of uh, somebody who was asking for advice. And she said, you don't strike me as the type of person who you've been consistent and routined in your spiritual practice in the past, um, but it's, it's a struggle for you. So my suggestion is to have a variety of spiritual practices that you can call on you know call on one of them every day but it doesn't always have to be the same one mm -hmm. and that like it doesn't always we don't have to like try to shove our artistic spirit into like and i wake up and i do this and i do that it's like some days i wake up and i do yoga some days i wake up and i meditate some days i wake up and i go on a on a walk some days you know i pray the second i wake up some days i pray when i'm in the shower some days i pray uh before i log on to the podcast like whatever these things are but as long as i'm consistently practicing tools it doesn't necessarily always have to be the same rhythm of that practice mm -hmm. okay can i give you guys one that i got passed on to me this past week when I was in New York. Ooh. So I was visiting with my friend Bill S. He's got some time and he's a um, former comic and writer and he's done all the things. And his uh, late wife was also a comic and a uh, you know New York City folk. And we were sitting in his apartment in Manhattan and he goes, before his wife used to go on stage, she used to say, God, let me be of service with the gifts you have given me. Yep. And that, do that was every time she every time she went on stage. So, I mean, if you're getting that stage time and you want a quick, easy way to inject some spiritual into your world, and I got to remember that too. It's like I, my goal is to be of service with the gifts you have given me. Yeah. You know, because if my goals 
this set's going to give me JFL, you know? You know, if the, if the goals are this set's going to make you buy all my merch, which honestly, that's my higher power sometimes is making you buy all my merch. I mean, people ask ah, me how the set went. People ask me how the set went, and I'm just like, I sold 25 bottles of hot sauce, so the set went good. The all is for all my merch. I see. What you're yeah, I get yeah. It. I worship the all. Every ah, last ah, bottle ah, of merch. Ah, well, yeah. You guys are crazy. <laughs> so, what would you say? Do you have a relationship with a higher power? Yeah, 100. Um, percent What's that look like? Um. It is very much rooted in, you know, that uh, that Judeo-Christian foundation. I mean, honestly, I'm a Christian. Um, I'm not the best Christian, and there's a huge conflict with what really what really is Christianity versus what has what has Christianity been painted to look like. Like, uh, there's this um, there's this new show that I don't really watch very often, but I for some reason was looking at it, right? This guy, Roland Martin, um, an African-American um, journalist. And he was interviewing this white supremacist. Um, I can't remember this dude's name, Richard something. Well, not not like a white supremacist, like a gangbanger white supremacist, but like a well-dressed white supremacist, Richie Rich looking white the, supremacist. The really, the really terrifying kind. He's the same dude that got punched in the yeah. face that time. It's that uh, same yeah, guy. Yeah, 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 and yeah, he, yeah. The, the he was talking to him. Right, yeah. Yeah. And they were having a conversation and Christianity came up and Roland Martin asked him, he's like, are you a Christian? And the guy laughs like, I mean, I'm my family. We're culturally Christian. Um, and then he goes to Roland Martin. He's like, why are you a Christian with this? Like, it hasn't really done much for, you know, for African-American people. This is kind of what we told you guys to make you subservient. And then wow. Roland is like, well, um, I practice, we practice love and justice and kindness and being good neighbors you know maybe your lineage maybe your family your slave owning family maybe they were cultural christians but they weren't real christians and i was like that's yeah like there's definitely a yeah. a, a colonist culture around uh god that i'm mm -hmm. like totally can't rock with at all um you know that is fear-based and and class-based and all of these other things but at the end of the day like the whole concept of just like everybody i'm not trying to it's not about being better than everybody else um we we really should have empathy for one another and care about one another and be kind to one another and when we do that that is that's god that's god at work that's God working. That's what that means. That's what that looks like. If I really am someone who says, well, I believe in God, then it's like I'm, I'm not stingy or I'm not afraid of people or I'm not um, searching for a hierarchical structure of any sort, be it a patriarchy, be it a, a, a race-based one, a sexuality-based one. It's like we're really all supposed to be one people. Um, so that's kind of where where my spirituality is. I believe that I am a part of this collective of life and that I should, you know, be life affirming, except for bugs. I kill bugs all day. It's kind of, yeah. every time I, I go to kill a bug, I consider what it would be like you know I mean? for me not to smush you as I'm smushing the bug. Right. I get called on by my family to, to kill bugs 
Bugs know the deal. They yeah, we got, I don't yeah, fuck I got mad spiders around here, and I'm just like, <laughs> I know you serve a purpose. What would it be like not to kill you? But I need to sleep tonight, so you're getting smushed. I, so. I am also the family spider killer. Uh, that is my, that is, yeah. I've, I've full on, there was a spider got in the car one time. My whole family had to pull over, and then yeah. they're all outside of the car screaming, and I just went, boop, and yeah. dead. Just easy. Um, that was, by the way, perfect. Uh, just, I, I loved, I loved your answer. So beautiful. And I just want to, we're at our last question. Um, Anna wants to give you a digital hug right now. I that's, do. That's I vibes. do. That's I loved vibes. it. I just take the digital hug for sure. Oh, I love it. I love it. I do that a lot in meetings on zoom. I'm like, I, <laughs> um, I love it. Um, oh gosh. What is one thing you would love to tell somebody just like you right now in the world? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, one thing I would love to tell somebody just like me in the world, if they're just like me, yep. I would tell them, think of the worst person that you know. Um, and once you have that person in your mind, do they deserve to be treated how you treat yourself? Would you treat them that badly? So if you're not as, you know, if you're not as bad as that, like cut yourself a break. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Because the whole being kind to yourself is always feels like such bullshit. It's always like, no, you don't know what I know about me. I'm kind of, you know what I mean? If you did, you would feel like you would feel about me the way I feel about me if you knew me as well as I know me. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, is that that sort of internalized rage is not what humility is yeah um it's really it's really a different kind of self-obsession it's not um yeah it's really a different kind of self-obsession so it's like really get over yourself you're not the worst human being of all time and like it's cool wow i love it we did it i love it you remind me questions we did it. You reminded me of I went I went on a little road trip with a friend of mine and uh, she swam and she's not comfortable with her body and she started making fun of her body in the pool. And I looked at her and I said, hey, stop it. And she goes, why? And I go, because you're beating up on my friend and she doesn't deserve it. And your body is beautiful and perfect just the way it is. So just stop. And she was like, let me do what I need to do to feel comfortable here. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, stop beating up on my friend. Just stop it. You're you're making everyone uncomfortable. Stop it. You're beautiful. Just enjoy the fucking pool. <laughs> you know, like I just oh my gosh. You're a great guest. We did it. We did it. Enjoy yeah. the pool, y'all. That's what we're that's that that whole hour was just to get you to enjoy the pool. Enjoy the pool. It's summertime coming. So it's it's hot. Mark, um, where can people find you, uh, your poetry, your comedy? Where, where is the easiest spot to get all that is Mark? Um, Instagram is probably a good place to start. I'm going to be honest again. Nothing is going on. <laughs> nothing is going on just yet. But go to Instagram and wait for me, and I will be there eventually with some shit. Yeah. And, and What's your handle? Mark James Heath. Just the three Mark names. James Heath on, yep, yep, Mark James Heath. Mark James Heath. Mark James Heath. Oh my gosh. And you can find, uh, Dave, where can people find you? You can find me on all the things at Yates Comedy, Y-A-T-E-S Comedy, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We're, we're on TikTok now, posting those clips, trying to trying to pop. So uh, nice. go give me a follow on the Tiki Talk and, and uh, 
We can get into it. If you want to buy hot sauce from me, the money goes directly to the Dave Yates Foundation, hahahotsauce.com. <laughs> Anna, where can people find you and our beautiful podcast? Uh, you can find me at Anna V is Fun on Twitter and Instagram. That's Anna with two N's. Uh, you can also find me at AnnaValenzuela.com. Um, you can find this podcast at 12Q Pod on all social media. Uh, we would love to get some more listener questions because we're trying to do all listener question we episodes. Got four. We need eight more. We need more, eight more. Get it. Email.com. Send those questions. They could be Any old question. Any old question. want to do the episode, guys. We're begging you. Oh, we love it. And also follow us on TikTok. We're on TikTok now. I'm on TikTok. My TikTok is like, whatever. I don't know how to TikTok, but we'll figure it out. And um, and uh, yeah, uh, if you're listening, uh, how we end this podcast every time is uh, first off, Mark James Heath. If nobody's told you this today, we love you. Love you, buddy. Thank you. And Dave, if nobody's told you this today, we love you. Uh. I know you receive it so well. And uh, if you're listening to this and nobody's told you this today, we love you. We love you, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Love you. Tell a friend. Bye. Tell a friend.